0: Hey Joe. Robert, how are you, sir?
1: I Well, I'm doing well. I'm a little sleepy, but I'm doing well otherwise. You made it
0: after the long two and a half week trip halfway I around I did. The, the marathon,
1: world. that's right. The marathon trip around the world is now concluded. Uh, I had a little bit of decompression time to sort of separate out the sort of climax of the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter, which is also going to be a sprint, but I had a little time away with my family in Hilton Head, South Carolina and some beach time and deep breathing and cool drinks. And so I'm feeling, you know, good. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready
0: for, I'm
1: ready for the fourth quarter.
0: Well, you look good. It was nice seeing you in Amsterdam. Oh, we had a fun time. time. You, you were, you were very good to me picking out some wines that I would like so i appreciate we had that. a good time we did have a we did have a nice wine and we didn't have to pay the
1: bill which was
0: also a- well plus yes we thanks have, to
1: our we, friend aj and bert
0: we have some <laughs> friends that are way too nice to us very
1: generous and, yes
0: uh, yeah we were ready to camp out the rest of the night we didn't have anywhere to go i mean they had i know to exactly do things we were just yeah like, hey, robert wants to yeah. get another bottle of wine so <laughs> you better stay
1: that's right. That is correct. Yes. Yes. That is correct. And you, you got back from uh, Ljubljana uh, with the L, um, and uh, <laughs> and how was that? How was the? How was the castle?
0: It, well, first of all, we talked about this before uh, we got on air here. That I went with my wife Pam, <laughs> Pam who used to run operations at Content Marketing Institute. But as I was traveling all those years and many of those trips with you. I never got to go with Pam, so this is one. This is actually the second trip that I've been able to to go with Pam and and actually see some of the sites. So after Amsterdam, uh, we got diverted because we had some flight cancellations. So we decided let's spend the day in Venice, which is unbelievable. Uh, it's one of those experiences that you just can't describe how amazing Venice was. I didn't realize Venice was so small. Only fifty two thousand people live in Venice.
1: That's right, and they're.
0: You know, they're, they're, and getting smaller yeah, by the way. It's getting
1: I mean, you know, hello climate change.
0: Well they're well and it it's more than that too, because they're losing about two thousand citizens a year and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's just Disneyland every day. Right, and of course. People are moving out and they they were there's actually talk going on right now that they may just open up Venice on a daily basis like it'll have hours <laughs> of service. Is that right? Yeah, that the, we, we took the gondolieri that that uh, took us around in a gondola, which I highly recommend doing that when you go there. Uh, said said that there there's talk right now because the city itself really can't support itself as a city anymore. It's more like an attraction. That's fascinating. Isn't it fascinating? I didn't That's realize like... that Venice used to be larger than Paris and London.
1: I didn't. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was one of the major commerce centers of the world.
0: And then Slovenia is beautiful. We saw castles that were a thousand years old. We saw a cave and in, inside three, you know, three million years old. And uh, I just, I just can't. And of course, dessert and drinks and and all the stuff that goes with it. Uh, Ljubljana, the downtown area, just is phenomenal. It's such. A, it's a two hundred fifty thousand person city, but the nightlife there, you'd think you were in Chicago. Right. Yep. Everybody's for sure. out. There's a thousand restaurants there, almost like one per every ten person. Ten, it, it, I, I just highly recommend if you ever get a chance to go. I'm I'm gonna work for uh, the Slovenia Tourism Group and try to send as many people there as possible. So, ah, huh. yeah. Well, aren't you sweet? Hey, whatever you know. I'm not doing anything else. I might as well do that. <laughs> just saying, you know, I'm just bored. I'm gonna go you know, work for a CBB or something, you know, because I'm already doing the meme hunting. There but you the are. meme hunting is not a full time job, so
1: the meme hunting and sending people to Ljubljana, That's Slovenia. It. That is that is a that is a hell of an entry for your C V hard
0: to put on a business card. But. I
1: like it. Well maybe we should put show host on there and we should uh, <laughs> well, get this thing. Well if there is a
0: show, maybe we should get going.
1: <laughs> we should. All right. Let's uh well let's roll.
0: for your listening pleasure here's Polizzi and Rose PNR with this old marketing take it away boys
1: hello my friends this is Robert Rose and welcome to episode number 218 of PNR's this old marketing recorded friday october 4th 2019 and with me, as always, the guy who would never put snakes and alligators in the moat around his house, Mister Joe Pulitzi, How are you, my friend?
0: Your introductions just kill me. Uh, <laughs> did you know, Robert? That today, I just found this out. This is breaking news. Today, as we record this, it's National Taco Day.
1: I yes, and, I know this. I you know. I plan on celebrating wildly. Okay. Did you yes. know it's
0: also National Vodka Day?
1: Uh, I didn't know about that, and could care less. I don't about know.
0: That. Well, yeah. you know, I'm a big. Tito's
1: yeah, and Tito's guy. guy, right? Yeah, uh,
0: but uh, I'm having a feeling that n- that was a mistake because I don't think you want to mix National Taco Day. And no, of National course Papa
1: not. Day. No, there is only one thing to drink with tacos, and that's th- tequila, and tequila right? I mean, come on. I mean that's the way that's the way you should roll. And yes, and I did know that. It's a um, I, I I do plan on celebrating. T- it is Friday as we record this, and so there will be my usual hashtag Friday concoction, and there will be a taco to be had.
0: And and a tequila, I'm assuming, is going to be the drink of the day, or I, well, most likely, yes. I, I unless something
1: overwhelmingly, you know, uh, washes over me, I, I, I suspect it will be some sort of tequila drink to go along with my tacos.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Is there, uh, yeah. is there anything that we should know about you personally that we haven't already discussed? Because I think the <laughs> listeners want to know <laughs> no, about the life of... Robert Rose. It's
1: fascinating. They do not they the, the this the, the the details of my life
0: are quite inconsequential.
1: No, um, when I'm on the road yeah. when I'm on the road now, I
0: mean the biggest question I get is how's Robert? I'm like,
1: "Well, oh, well, that's very sweet." I
0: know. Yeah. I say, I don't know. Go ask him. Why are you asking yeah. me? I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, is, that, that is such a
0: you response too. That's uh yeah. Well, they I mean, I think it's because we've you know been working with each other for now a decade believe it or not and we've been on this podcast for six years on and off and yep. they think that we live with each other i think <laughs> that would be a scary thing <laughs> that would be a very
1: very scary thing yeah because you've got yeah. strange habits i do uh, i do indeed yes I, I do indeed i have very strange habits and um uh, i'm not the easiest person to live with i'll uh, but uh you know just ask my wife i mean so she's a saint
0: yeah She's a she
1: saint. is absolutely she's a saint. All right, should we get to our top of the show here, so that these people don't have to listen to more of the details of our sordid lives?
0: I, I don't care. I mean, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> I don't care. No, I of course I prepared. I read articles. I, don't, I did work. I know. I, I don't care. Stuff. What do you got? What do you got first up?
1: It's like the it's like that scene out of the it's like it's like the scene out of the fugitive with the Harrison Ford. It's like it's like I'm an innocent man. I don't care <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> By the way, at, at Astra I saw that movie, Tommy Lee Jones is in it as a very old astronaut. I think he's going to get uh, best supporting actor. Is it good? It's good, yes. It's very strange. <laughs> It's a different kind of movie. It's sort of like an right. interstellar type of thing. But okay, yeah, sure, yeah. I, would, I, would, I think you would like it. I would, I would right. recommend it. Um, it's hard, yeah. You can't even explain it because the concept is so unique. But I would, I would yeah. definitely take take a look at it.
1: All right. All right. Well, let's get to our top of the show here as we think about our movies. This is, of course, our our first segment of the show, and it's one story from the news that gets to the theme of the show and what we're going to chatter on about. Um, And this – so we picked, uh, to link in the show notes here, a uh, a headline from Media Post, Uh, but really there are a lot of news organizations – Um, talking about this, um, this was sort of a theme coming out of Ad Week, which of course happened while Joe and I were away in Europe. Um, And the, the headline is a future with no advertising, which believe it or not, was a running theme. I had so many people sending me links Um, Over the course of ad week saying look there's a panel on this and look this or just talked about this and it was really sort of summed up in this article here and the article starts off by saying how are we defining ads these days? What does it mean to be in advertising? Earlier this year, Mark Pritchard, who, of course, uh, as many of you frequent listeners of the show have heard us quote him before, um, was and is the CMO of, uh, I think, Procter & Gamble, and he got people thinking about what a future without ads would look like, and there were also pieces about whether we've really changed advertising and whether we really need it anymore. All of this got me, says the author, thinking about what role advertising plays and whether it is indeed necessary now or not. Um, This author says, I have a degree in advertising and there are lots of people who are in advertising but very few of them actually ever studied it and he goes on uh the author to then talk about advertising and sort of where it is in the state of advertising in today's world and of course that's something we talk about on this show but I thought it was really interesting and and I'm very interested to get your take on this Joe um because to me you know I this idea, I mean, we always sort of rag on the idea of the death of, you know, the, the death of anything, right? And, 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 and how that's sort of a, a, a false choice here. But it does feel like, finally, uh, there is some admission in the Madison Avenue, New York, advertising sort of centric parts of the world That this idea of paid reach through the 30-second spot on television or banner ad or those kinds of things may be actually on its last legs. But By the way, a $700 billion industry that has been as resilient as any industry in the world um, over the last 50 years, there may be some of the underpinnings coming out from underneath it. Um, What, what did you, what do you think about that? And what do you think about the, this, this idea of no more advertising?
0: Well, first of all, when you said necessary, I had to to think of dodgeball, the movie necessary. Is it necessary to drink my own urine? (laughs) No, but it's sterile. And I like the taste. Um, I'm sorry. Which is
1: really the state of advertising these days, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: I think the whole thing I was talking, uh, about this with somebody in Slovenia. No, I think that advertising is never going to go away. And I think the article that you bring up is more about evolution. And is it, is, is it evolving? Yes, it's evolving very, very slowly. And even when you look at, so let me give an example of podcast spend. Um, and on that would be on sponsorship. So form of advertising, that's going to be One billion in 2021. Look at your 700 billion stat. I mean, it's it's amazing how huge that's the sun, right? That's that's there's so much money going in there. There is half a universe fighting against the change. I think that you're going to see small changes in the next five years. I don't think you're going to see major changes in advertising. I think that uh, outside of the fact that Things like you're going to see the commercial go while you're watching the football game, like we've been seeing. Or NASCAR has been doing that for three or five years. Uh, Pre-roll versus uh, something in the middle of your YouTube video. I think that that's been shown to be a little bit um, less skippable, if you will. But I don't, I don't see this mass change that everyone's talking about. Uh, happening, And I think that if you're in the back alleys of Madison Avenue, that's what they're saying. They're like, you know, yeah, do you have to – remember when cable came out and we sort of had to change and we had to go to more outf- out- outlets and it's not just the big three or big four networks anymore? Yes, that's happening again. But still, advertising is king, so stay off my back. I mean, I think that's where they're at. I don't know if you agree with that, but – I do.
1: Well, I think it's, you know, what I, the, how I explained it, some, I had this conversation while I was in Europe as well, as I started getting all of these links and I had it, um, uh, with a few people at a conference and we were talking about the, the, the form versus the function, right? So the function of advertising is of course, sponsored experiences and in varying degree, right? So they are, a you you have an experience usually content in in nature and some part of it is sponsored and paid for right by a brand or a product that's trying to get you to do something and that function is not going away somebody like for example somebody told me they said okay well amazon for example will have their prime video and you'll be watching prime video and in the middle of that they know that you're low on dishwashing soap, and so they'll put up a personalized ad for you for whatever your favorite dishwashing soap is, saying, basically, re you know, re up now, and you can press your button on your remote control, and away you go. That's an ad. That's ju- that's just the form changing, not the function changing. That's still going to be as annoying to me as the ad for the Coca-Cola you know, sing a song on the television that comes in a 30-second spot that interrupts my football game. So the the annoyance and or the disruptive uh, nature of that is not going to change based on the, you know, the form changing. It's the function is not going away. And I think that's what you're really getting at is is that, this is something that's always going to be there. It's just the, you know, the, you know, as, as, as our friend Marshall McLuhan would say, you know, the, the medium changes, right? The, the, and, and so as the medium changes, so will the form of these sponsored experiences change. And I don't think that's going away. And certainly, you know, as we've seen so often, the, you know, if you look back in history, this is a stat that I now use in one of my workshops, which is if you look at it as a percentage of GDP, the amount that companies have spent on advertising and marketing, it's always hovered around the two or three percent and hasn't changed since, you know, the early 1900s. It hasn't changed in a 100 years. It hasn't changed. And I don't see it changing now. It's just which buckets get the that's money. Correct. That's what's, That's what's changing is which buckets get the money. So printed newspapers, probably not the form that's going to take, you know, hold for the next 50 years online sponsorship of podcasts? Yeah, probably. Something like that. So, But the idea of advertising isn't going away, I don't
0: know. No, think. I agree with you that I had the question that was something like, is content marketing going to overtake advertising? And of course, after I stopped laughing, I, I and, she, and she was like, well, is this not a thing that could happen? And, and I'm like, well, first of all, where are they going to put the money? So they have all this advertising spend, they have a big, big marketing budget. And you're saying that they're going to try to build platforms, build audiences, have direct communications, valuable communications with audiences. Most brands that you and I deal with are absolutely horrible at doing this. They don't right. have any patience for it. They don't come up with anything differentiated or truly valuable outside of what's already out there. Um, so if that's the case and it's very much true they they're still going to end up spending most of this on whatever advertise whatever form that advertising takes is to, to to your point um, so i don't i don't get why adweek and maybe you can enlighten me on this why was it such a big issue are they are they trying to get people's attention like it's going away is it i must have been in the closet or somewhere i don't know what i was doing i was in a cave somewhere in Ljubljana what, what, yeah, what's going on? Well, I think if I had to put, you know, a
1: theme to all of it, because it, you know, as you might expect, it's a little different from different people, but it all sort of follows into this whole idea of what Pritchard is talking about, which is a future without paid ads. And I think what a lot of people are seeing is, look, let's let's just face facts. Ad Week is not what Ad Week used to be. Um, AdWeek is a very, very different animal in 2019 than it was in even, you know, 2015 or 2014, right? So, and by a different animal, I mean it is smaller and it is less, you know, less attended as it were. But I think what you're seeing is really the the sort of bubble popping as it were on, uh, on, on the idea of programmatic and the idea of, you know what we've talked about on the show so many times of fraud and bots and you know and how much waste there is in the media spend that we've seen and that's what really people are complaining about is 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 not that ads that actually you know <laughs> to put it in the John Wanamaker quote that he never said you know in terms of the half my ad spend is wasted I just don't know which half it's like. The half that's working, people are kind of cool with, right? And that's what we're talking about here. It's the half that's not working where people are really starting to get frustrated with the new ideas of data and privacy and, you know, bots and automation and waste and and, and all of that. And is it really still a thing? And I think that's sort of the ongoing debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that to, to, our, to the point of our conversation, you know, sort of in violent agreement with, you know, with each other. This is a shift, a a a a pivot or a a a shifting landscape, not a disappearing one.
0: No, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the size of AdWeek, and you're right. From everything that I've heard, and I've been there a couple times, and uh, that it's. It's much smaller than it used to be. It's not the big deal that it used to be. But where are those conversations happening? They're, those advertising and sponsorship conversations are still happening. They're just in different places. Look how large Dreamforce is. Half of That's those right. conversations are around advertising and sponsorship. Have you seen the growth of
1: conferences like Content Marketing World, like Dreamforce, yep. like Inbound, like you know these niche you know Digital Summit just happened last week. You know these niche oriented conferences that are tackling the issues of the day are truly where people are are moving to and in fact there was one conversation about that exact thing about how the you know the 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 conversations are really moving into niche areas of marketing and advertising and into you know where quite frankly we spend most of our time um, rather than these large, expansive sort of ad oriented, you know, you know, South by Southwest types of conversations that are, that are, that, that were previously mm-hmm. the place to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it goes in and ebbs and waves and you had the big ones, uh, you had the, the big events and then you've got all these smaller events and smaller, smaller, and then those smaller events will start getting swallowed up by the bigger events that's probably five years from now, and it goes back and forth. I mean, that's the event business. That's the event business that I've known for twenty years. It just, it it's it's just like the stock market it goes up and down. All yeah. you know, and it goes up at the end of the day, but all your money's in different places than it was when it started. It's almost as if the
1: practice of marketing evolves. <laughs> uh, you know,
0: <laughs> is there a book that talks about this?
1: I don't Jeez, know. there are a few books. There I suspect
0: are, no. Books that talk about this. Okay. I don't know.
1: I don't know. All right. Should we move on to our next segment here? Yeah. So, this is our in depth section, folks, um, where we're going to talk a little bit about something that has either Joe or my attention in the world of marketing this week. Um, And I'm going to start this week because I. I uh, had an article sent to me uh, again while I was in Europe um, by the wonderful and very talented friend of mine, Jeff Cram, um, whose agency just got purchased. Um, which is, uh, I'm so proud of him and what they've been able to do. Uh, but um, so, uh, thank you, Jeff, for the for the post, and and it's a wonderful one. It comes from basically uh, the uh, Bloomberg, um, and it's it's something that, of course, is you know. I guess near and dear to my heart because of my background and where I come from, and and it's a fascinating article. It's Bezos, Jeff Bezos' Washington Post is now licensing its publishing technology to customers, and namely in the article, it's licensing it to uh, British Petroleum, or BP. The article starts off by saying every two weeks, Jeff Bezos holds a meeting with Washington Post engineers in part to discuss a product called Arc, which, again, if you've been a listener of this show, you've heard us talk about. We had uh, uh, one of the guys who runs that program um, at our uh, the, then it was called the Intelligent Content Conference um, and talked about all of their capabilities as it pertains to publishing and using content management systems. Um, and Arc, of course, helps companies publish online. The software is a growing part. Of the Washington Post business, albeit a lot less visible than scoops about the Trump administration, says the article. Now, ARC, the product within the Washington Post, is expanding into a new market, striking a deal with its first non media customer, BP, British Petroleum. The energy giant's communication team will use ARC's software to publish articles and videos to its 70,000 employees across 250 internal websites, newsletters, and a future mobile app app. Uh, As the uh, post publisher Fred Ryan was quoted as saying, and this is sort of the money quote, we realized that many large companies are essentially publishers. And so they need to give them a good content management system. And of course, Arc is a theoretically good one. And here's my quick take on this. And I would love to get yours, Joe, uh, is this is a we've talked about this before so um, the New York Times has tried to do this. We've actually talked to a couple of media companies that have built their own proprietary content management systems to service and thought you know about productizing it. Um, this is a interesting business model um, and where it applies to something like, you know, a few customers like a BP or, you know, that may be, that may be, uh, interested in this kind of interesting, but I think it's probably nothing more than a interesting experiment because having been in that business, I will tell you that media companies are not set up to be, to do this for a living. Um, and so if they're, you know, if they're struggling to, you know, bring in agency like services, um, and start to do that in a meaningful way, a la a T-Brand Studios or something like this. This is a whole other level of Dante's hell, <laughs> I will just say. But, um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by their attempt to do this. Because this to me starts to show how, because the the, the content management systems that like is Arc or that other media companies like New York Times, Washington Post, and others use if you're in the content management business at all you wouldn't even recognize it you wouldn't you wouldn't even recognize it in the way that you know we think of content management systems like sitecore and adobe and you know open text and you know aquia and wordpress and drupal and all of those kinds of things it's a very very different animal altogether so to me the most fascinating thing is how a company like bp which will have historically been on those very systems um, is now looking at something that is so specific to a media company and the way that a media company operates and finding that, yes, that's indeed where they want to place their bet, right? Where they want to place their enterprise content management bet. So to me, this is a big shot across the bow for those enterprise content management companies to get their, you know what, together to start to build in more media-like operations rather than sort of the more governance, compliance, regulatory workflow types of systems that are, are so um, that are so inherent and in, and in, in, in the way that those CMSs operate. I know that's a little inside baseball, but that's the
0: uh, that's that's my take on well, it. Well, I mean, I you know more about the CMS industry than pretty much anybody out there. So you know how, how difficult that industry is. But I think this is proof that more proof that the business model of media companies has changed and you have Be- Bezos that saw Washington post as an amazing platform that he could launch so many different kinds of products and services off the back. I mean, a hundred million dollars from this tool that they've created uh, post created this uh, publishing tool is pretty amazing that they've been able to generate that kind of money and it says in the article that it'll probably overtake their you know subscription and advertising business it could at some point be big enough to do that uh,
1: it's it's the it, he's basically taking an amazon web services to the washington yes, post yes yeah.
0: exactly and uh i mean you see the same thing we've talked about it before i mean uh, does BuzzFeed and their Tasty brand have any right to, in 2019, sell $500 million in household appliances and ice cream and all kinds of other things that they do? It makes no sense. Right. But we talk about it on the other side as well. Well, wh- Why doesn't a brand, why can't a brand create a platform and sell advertising? Which seems so weird to media outlets out there. They say, oh my God, you can't do that. So more and more, I look at a business model of a Washington Post and a business model of, let's just say, a BP. And yes, do they sell for the most part? Their revenue comes in different ways? Sure, but the business model, at least when it comes to communication, is awfully similar. Uh, And it's becoming more and more that way. Now, I don't know how the CMS uh, business works compared to how you know it, but the idea of Washington Post launching products and services off the back of their platform is nothing new and is only going to grow. And, uh, that's, I think that's the opportunity for both brands and media companies.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, and, and I, 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 you know, I I mean, obviously I agree with that. And, and that fascinates me for sure. What really fascinates me, you know, on, in my sort of CMS geeky side is when you look at a company like BP so big conservative enterprise you know this is that it's as enterprise b2b as it gets and by the way the fact that they're that they're getting this software to publish internally focused internal.
0: sites yes internal sites right yeah
1: means that they, somebody, somebody probably at the CIO level or some very high level of that organization looked at the landscape of available content management systems out there and, and you know, and there, there are not that many, right? There are, you know, less than 10 that are probably appropriate for that level of, of, of management and said, none of them are as good as what we want to do with the Washington Post, and that, to me, is a is 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 more of a statement about where the market is for enterprise software um, and business software as it pertains to content and media operations um, than it is. You know that it's just a it's a fascinating statement because in many ways you could see other companies doing exactly this for for you know what you're talking about is. Sure. Now, I mean, for looking at, you know, the ability to serve up ads and to do the artificial intelligence stuff that Arc does um, and all of the stuff that it does in terms of dynamically publishing content and all of that for a big, you know, for a big company looking to discharge a very large content marketing or a multiple site sort of strategy, all of a sudden this, you know, going to a Washington Post now seems completely viable.
0: I think it's incredibly smart. I think that yep. if they follow the same formula that they did with AWS, AWS, I believe is the largest. Isn't it the largest B two B software enterprise now? Uh, correct? Is it which who, which a, one? AWS storage. Yes, it's for the sure largest B two B company uh, by revenue. I don't. I, I don't want to misspeak. I don't know if it's by profit or by revenue. Uh, but the, I mean, it's a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, Amazon's right. A bookstore. Exactly. Right. I think that's where it's, and I get it because when we start a business, and this is for everyone listening to this, we always start a business and somebody asks you, what do you do? And you answer, I sell books or I sell enterprise software or I'm a HVAC contractor or whatever, right? And I think that those, that mentality is difficult to break out of because we don't think in the fact that if we do build an audience and we do build a platform, we can be, we can sell almost anything we want to to that audience, depending on if we have that C level support. This is what's different about this model, and why I think it's going to be successful is the article talks about Jeff Bezos being in the meeting with the guy that's running this program on a regular basis. This has C level support, of and course. When you yeah. you see it on the brand side, you don't see that. You see maybe the CMOs involved. Usually VP of Sales and Marketing. You have a content development person in there some that the CEO is almost never involved in these types of decisions and that's why Amazon I think is going to be successful and everyone else is not going to be because this is a C level type decision that they need to be involved with because you're talking about changing the face of the business which it can but you can't just surprise the CEO with this kind of stuff oh yeah we're we're starting to sell advertising on our uh, on our blog site what we don't do, we sell this Yep. Did you get approval to do this? And then, of course, it dies in <laughs> right. six months.
1: That's exactly so, right. Anyway. That's exactly right. Anyway, fascinating story and um, one to one to sort of, you know, file away to watch and, and see what happens. Um, All right, let's move along to your story here, which is a fascinating one and related, I might add. Um, It's funny how these things all come together. Uh, This one comes to us from our wonderful, wonderful friends uh, at Social Media Examiner. Uh, Hi, Mike. Uh, and the headline here, um, written by Michael Stelzner, of course, is the death of Google search traffic and what it means for marketers. Um, and just as we sort of said, don't ever have talk about the death of something. Well, here's an article talking about the death of something. And it was an early Saturday morning, says Michael, and I was catching up on some print reading. I had an edition of Wired Magazine in my hands and an article caught my attention. It was about Alexa. I dove in, one paragraph grabbed me and forced my eyes to gaze into the future. What I saw terrified me. He's, he's he, I love that his writing there is very dramatic. Um, I would later begin a detailed analysis and the results forced me to seriously question everything I held true about Google organic search. Join me. As he explores the changes coming from Google and what it means for you. Um, and he goes on to then detail how Google and voice have really started to dominate and how voice has become much more uh, dominated in terms of the way that uh, Alexa is giving you one answer versus a million answers on a page, um, and how Google is now starting to aggregate content using Knowledge Graph, of course, and pull in, you know, sort of. All of the answers you may want before you even get to the top organic search. And basically saying for him, as he started to look at some of their search terms and where they might have normally ranked on the first slot in Google, well, now they're really, you know, sort of half a dozen or even a dozen slots down because Google is taking up all of that real estate by trying to never let you leave Google um, so what say you, Mr. Polizzi, what was it about this that sort of attracted your attention? It's
0: interesting. You know, I've been doing this whole death of social media and, and Michael Stelzner sends me this link and he says, I totally agree with you on your stuff, but this is what keeps me up at night, which we're, talk- what we're talking about here with the death of, of Google search. It yeah. he out some really interesting stats. 49% of people that do go- Google search searches do not click on anything. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Isn't that something? So, I mean, of course, you've got the rise in, in audio as well. And I think as business owners, we need to start preparing for this. It's funny. We talked about the movie Ad Astra with Brad Pitt. And it says it's in the near future. Everything that they do is voice activated. Everything. And it, it seems so – I mean, it it's not a stretch. You absolutely believe that. Everything you do, everything you turn on, off, whatever <laughs> – uh, every, every kind of piece of information you want on there, when you're getting a diagnosis at the hospital, through whatever portal, you're doing it through voice of some kind. And I'm trying to think of you know the struggle that, that let's say, we have as business owners and trying to figure this out is, what do we do with it? Because the 49% number, that's just, it's only going to go up. That 49% is going to be 60% of people don't click on anything, Seven, 70% it's going to go up because we've also seen the fact at the same time that Google is starting to pay for its own content. You, you and I were talking about the Cleveland Clinic thing before where, sure. where yep. Google will pay different organizations to create content for them that they can make their own. They're starting to make big bets and pay for content in a variety of categories so that when you go to Google... You either get your answer directly from Google or you click on an ad. That's all they want, right? They don't want anything else. They're not trying right. to help you with your business, I'm sorry, organically. So if the, you know, quote-unquote death of Google search is here, you know, what do we do as business people? And the only thing I can think of, Robert, and I don't, I don't know if this makes sense, but I thought of that, um, that point in It's a Wonderful Life when there's the run on the banks, So there's a run on a bank, Jimmy Stewart is there, and he's like, okay, what do we do? Do I go on my honeymoon or do I go and take care of this? And that's kind of where we're at for marketing people. And I think that right now there's a run on audience. I think it's a really critical time because it's going to be harder and harder for us to build audiences through text. Yes. Yes. if if, If you're saying yes and that's a true statement then what do we do what are the alternatives is it audio is it video uh is it you know is it something else I, the answers might be yes or something different i don't know but this is for sure here and not going away and it's going to change the face of everything we know about organic if there isn't if there even is organic search from audio and text that's going to be even possible i don't even know in five years right. Where's it going to be? Well, yeah, I mean to <laughs> to belabor your
1: "It's a Wonderful Life" metaphor. What we're really talking about is the scene where Potter, where you know, where where Jimmy Stewart goes into Potter's office and Potter gives him a great big cigar and says, "You know, you know, you're my boy. You're going to have a big career, and I'm going to pay you a lot of money, and I'm going to write you a check right now, and I'm going to buy your savings alone. And this is the way it's going to be." And basically, you watch Jimmy Stewart go through this. Totally romanced period where he's sitting there smoking the big cigar, and then all of a sudden he realizes who he's making the deal with, um, and and basically just says, "I'm I I gotta I, I'm gonna go on my own, and I'm gonna try and be you know my because the town deserves the trust that it's been built up in the saving the, the small little rickety you know savings and loan, and that's where we are really right now. Is you're right? There's a run on audience going right now, and basically Google and Facebook are the potters and they're offering us big cigars, right? I mean, you know, Google is saying, Hey, we'll take some of your content and we'll put it here and we'll make it easier for users to get to. But basically what that's doing is it's segmenting out people like Michael, right? So getting, having him build audience becomes much more difficult and Facebook's doing the same thing, right? The Facebook is going out and, and just made a deal. I, I, we didn't cover it on the show, but it happened about a month ago where they're starting a whole new effort uh, offering up to 3 million bucks a year for licensing rights to like ABC and Bloomberg and Dow Jones and Washington Post to pull in their content into Facebook. And, you know, I just saw research. I was doing research for a presentation and I just saw research that a uh, fascinating statistic that more than 40 percent of young people get their news, get all of their news and information from Facebook and 30 percent of them think that it's not true in other words they 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 know it's not true or they believe it's not true but yet they get their news there anyway and that's when we start looking and conflating our brand our you know our and and basically putting it under the you know the the flag of Google or Facebook or any social media or outlet we're giving up we're basically, Sitting back with the big cigar with Potter on the other side and going, "Yep, yeah, you know what, this is the way it's going to be. And this is where audiences are. And this is what we got to do. And I think we have a, you know, uh, a, an opportunity. I would actually call it a responsibility for us to actually look and break out and what for whatever Pollyanna view this might be in the world, I think we have, as marketers, as brand stewards, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to be the trusted source of interesting things and build our own yeah. audiences and fight this. And, the, I, you know, I mean, call me Jimmy Stewart or call me not, but the, I, I think that's the, we have, to, it, it's not a question of should we, we, we have to.
0: And it's a great point. And that's why we're seeing this renaissance in e-newsletters, which is yeah. sort of funny. I mean, I've exactly. done a couple speeches around, you know, the death of social media and what do we need to do about it? Same topic we're talking about here. And I'm like, we got to party like it's 1999. We've got to go and look at the opportunities to create real relationships with a with a real voice, uh, usually an individual, and you're seeing, uh, you know, e-newsletters like um, you know, Anne Hanley's, and you're seeing uh, the the BuzzFeed strategy grow because of their small uh, targeted e-newsletters that they have. And then, of course, we've talked about the New York Times many times, and they have a hundred more than a hundred e-newsletters now. They see what's coming, on. they're trying to say, okay, how do we battle against this? How do we keep? and grow our audience they're doing it that way now is it the only way no but I think one of the reasons is exactly what you're talking about is I I, you know where am I going to get where am I going to get this information from on a regular basis and who do I trust I swear to your point how many times are you hearing I don't know if this is true but I saw this on Facebook I am so tired of that exactly don't be telling me any if you don't know it's true don't even go into the story right but that's well. Here's all that stat. You're t- it's that's a, such a true stat because people are just spewing out all yeah. kinds of information that they don't even know is real, and I don't think they care. Yeah, I, they don't. They the the
1: uh, uh, this is totally anecdotal. But I was I was in London having a conversation with somebody at the conference, and I I used that stat, and they came up to me after, and they said that stat that you just said is amazing. He said because my boyfriend then uh, is you know young. And he goes and looks on Facebook, gets all his news from Facebook, is very skeptical about whether it's true or not, but then basically doesn't care. Right. If he cares enough to actually go search it, he then asks me, she says, basically saying because he she does actually read, you know, The Guardian and, and you know, actually researches stuff and, and, you know, is sort of a news and political junkie. And so she's out there, you know, reading all that stuff and and actually does know. Um, and but she says it's so frustrating because he's out there, you know, having coffee conversations, et cetera, et cetera, about stuff. But if he really does care, then he basically asks her, and he and she's like, Stop, go, fi- go find it. Go, the, the answer is there. You know, what would be really interesting would be, um, to have. Uh, A study and maybe somebody out there in the audience knows that this exists or it would be a fascinating research study to see the levels of consumer trust of news and information consumed on Facebook and social media versus the same content displayed in the context of a content brand. Like, in other words, the same article given to you through the Facebook Uh, feed or the same article given to you on the context of the Washington post, which one is more trusted. And that, that, I mean, it's gotta be available. I'm, I would think that that study has already been done, but, but if, uh, but if anybody is out there sort of in a research company could go do that for me, that would be really, (laughs) really awesome.
0: (laughs) The the, the one thing I would say uh, before we get off of this topic is there still is a huge opportunity. I believe in the fringes, this yes fringes. for sure I was for sure you know everybody knows that's been listening to this I've been working on my mystery thriller book and I've been doing a lot of searches around mysteries and thrillers and mystery blog tours and all kinds of different stuff Google's not there they're not they' they you don't see the the Google pure content the listings are haphazard. Uh, You really have to do a bunch of different searches. So I think in the main search terms and the most popular ones, Google's all over that. They know where they want to. They're buying all kinds of media and content, and they're going to dominate those. But still on the fringes that they don't care about, I think that's an opportunity. And that's why if you created a real niche content platform over something that nobody else is talking about the way you talk about it, there's still an opportunity here. The riches and the niches. That's it. It's always it been is. that way. And there uh, always yeah. will be niches because there's always going to be only so many places Google can direct their attention to, just like in The Lord of the Rings. So,
1: oh, there we go. <laughs> we are just, we are full of pop culture metaphors. How many today. movies we, have we mentioned? I, in this I don't know. It's been a lot, though. Um, and speaking of riches and the niches, we have a delightful sponsor we need to get into the mix here.
0: We absolutely do and there's something called the demand generation summit that content marketing institute is putting on on october 23rd of this year basically it's a free virtual event dedicated to demand generation created for all marketers to help show how their roles can impact demand and increase profitable customer action for their brand i love that profitable you see? customer action did you write that i did profitable not write that but um
1: action. it is yeah like very, that. very smart copywriting. And by the way, a perfect example of exactly what we were just talking about, events
0: that are focused in on marketing that aren't ad week. That's exactly right. Speakers include yeah. Corinne Schmidt, Chris Daly, Michael Brown, Mark Bornstein, and Carlos Hidalgo. Uh, by the way, Carlos Hidalgo has a great book called um, oh, that's It: the, the Un-American Dream.
1: Uh, which yeah, if we get great a great You
0: should check it out. Uh, for more information yeah. and to register... For this webinar, or for, oh, actually, the way they're going to do it, if I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. Yes. That you can sign up. It's a whole day thing. You can sign up for the entire day, or you can watch just one webinar,
1: correct? That's right. Yeah. You can re- you can register for one of the webinars. You can register for the entire day, or you can also register and watch them all on demand if you're not available on that particular day.
0: The, the, the choices are freeing. Uh, I mean, it's... I feel, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I just took a shower. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, if you would like more information about Demand Generation Summit, and you should, go to cmi.media slash demandgen2019. That's cmi.media slash demandgen2019 to get more information about this wonderfully hearty day of demand generation information that you don't want to miss. Ooh,
1: a wonderfully hearty day. I like that. A hearty day. A hearty day. A, how was your how a, was your day today? It was, it hearty, was hearty. Hearty, hearty. It was a hearty. hearty day. <laughs> A hearty day. I had a hearty day.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. There you go.
1: Moving on from our hearty day, it is now time for our last segment of the show, which, of course, is your favorite part of the show and, you know, something that we also love doing. And that's, of course, our rants and raves section of the show where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like putting snakes and alligators into the moat or makes us feel like we've had a hearty day. Um, and, Joe, you're going first, uh, going first today. Yes, you've got a yes. couple of things. You've got a rant and a rave. I got
0: I a ra- Yeah. So uh, to, very quick because I want to get to yours. I think yours is, is much more interesting than what I have to say. But I do want to talk about my rave. Um, I, uh, The good folks at Red Bull presented at uh, Le- the Libliana Conference uh, Pop Forum. And I love the story of how they started the Red Bulletin. And I know a lot of you have heard it, but it's worth repeating the fact that the big Red Bull media house that we all know of today started actually very small. It started in 2005, and the whole goal was is that they were sp- – Red Bull was sponsoring Formula One races, and they thought that there was no sense of humor in Formula One at all, and it lacked anything interesting when it came to media. So they said, well, can we do something about this? So they said, well, let's create the show daily. So they created a uh, show daily that they called the Red Bulletin, and they took a big Heidelberg press, and they took it to all these racetracks, and at the end, uh, during and after the show, you got the basically a show daily and it was all talking about inside the drivers and it it was journalistic stories don't get me wrong but brought to you you know by red bull from red bull and it they did that for two years robert and those two years they learned all about the publishing and the media business and how to do it well and they said well there's an opportunity outside of that to do even more and in november of 2007 they created the first lifestyle publication called the red bulletin they launched it believe it or not in 44 countries and today there's 1.75 million subscribers they produce 70 stories per month five million readers the average reader spends 30 minutes with the red bulletin magazine and i love this little stat uh 2378 engagements per second from the red it's amazing and the reason the the whole, I mean, there's all kinds of things you could take away from that. Uh, Alexander went through the entire process of how they create content, which was just fascinating to me. But I think the most important thing is they just didn't, Red Bull Media House didn't start out be it doing the music stuff and the video stuff and, and the 10 other things that they do. And it's a real media company. They started with a very simple plan to make an impact on a very specific audience. And they did that for two years and then they launched something different and bigger. And I think that's the key that I want everybody to get in where you can start simple. And actually you have to start simple. You must start simple because if you launch all these things at one time, you will absolutely fail. So that's the one thing I love, uh, the, the small startup story behind the Red Bulletin. My rant, Robert, it's real quick. And I have a problem with a, a significant problem right now with contact forms you know what contact forms are <laughs> yes i've 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 you know i've, these, uh, you know I've heard i've i've seen them in the wild yes so i have seen a contact form or two in my time yeah so th- this yeah. week i spent a lot of time <laughs> i i was contacting certain people around the will to die my my book and different things that i want to do from a marketing standpoint And I was going to different websites, and I would find their contact page. And on every contact page was a contact form. And they come in all shapes and sizes, which is fine. I don't have a problem with the form itself. It's the follow-up to the form. And I started to not get responses at all from contact forms. I actually took it personally. I thought maybe it was me. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I started to go to more and more contact forms just to see if people were going to respond you know what the response rate for all the kind? I did dozens and dozens of contact forms just because I wanted to see. My response rate was about twenty five percent. Wow. I mean, the, and these are—I mean—they're contact forms like contact us with contact a question us or if you yeah. Would, yeah, if you would like to give us money.
1: Contact okay. Us.
0: Oh wow. All right. Uh, you know, to to set up a consultation, to, sure. to find out yeah. more about our services, all that right. kind of stuff. I don't think people are checking the contact forms. Uh, and I I don't know I think it's it's where people you know subscribers go to die I guess I, I guess my plea is to the listeners of this old marketing is that if you have a contact form you should look at it if somebody's actually <laughs> filling it out uh, I'm amazed it's like, that's, it's like amazed. the Jerry Seinfeld thing
1: it's one thing to fill out the contact form but the other part is to actually <laughs> yes. respond to the contact form a that's the whole process. point of the content that's form exactly yeah.
0: right. I yeah. am dumbfounded this is not just a one-time occurrence Robert this has happened it's an epidemic
1: people don't check the contact forms it's an so epidemic
0: it is it's a it's a problem I yeah. I am just so concerned about this and I did I it's funny because I, I did three or four and I didn't get any response for a couple of days and I'm like well what do I what do I do and finally I got one to respond and I was like this is you know this must be the greatest company ever because they actually check their contact forms that's all I have right. that's Pretty good. That's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> He's gonna fix fix the web one contact
1: form at, at a time. time. There we go. That's it. There we go. Right, what do you got? Um, well, I got a, a commentary here. Um, so this is an article that I'm going to point you all to because it's a it's a wonderful wonderful uh, article. A bit provocative, which I like very much. Um, our good show friend, uh, Bethany Johnson, who is of course, got the Twitter handle that thou shalt not be named um, and is a regular contributor to the show, um, uh, turned me on to this article. But, of course, it's from a friend and family of the show who we know, you and I both know very well, Aaron Orendorf, um, who uh, formerly of Shopify and now uh, on to other things. Um, and he has written an article uh, in which he questions the idea Idea of written content and direct-to-consumer brands Um, the top uh, title of his article is can written content make a brand the danger of lionizing uh, DTC which is of course the acronym for direct-to-consumer outliers and as he opens up and he says everybody loves a winner especially the press unfortunately in the overlapping worlds of content and commerce quantifying success is no easy task he then goes on to talk about a number of examples, um, namely opening up with the, uh, the which we covered actually on this show, um, the brand Outdoor Voices, um, to get into uh, the content war, as he calls it, the recreationalist um, hit the internet, and we talked about it on the show, is a great, wonderful, interesting example of a, a, a direct-to-consumer commerce company sort of creating a more culture lifestyle type of uh, website. And basically, he goes through this sort of argument that talks about all of this, you know, as he as his sub headline and sort of his tweetable moment uh, is abandon hope all ye who enter here into direct to consumers content graveyard. And then he goes through a few examples of direct to consumers uh, brands such as Airbnb and um, Dollar Shave Club and Flex and Goop, uh, GoPro, Peloton, uh, basically how the casualties are starting to pile up, um, on the, you know, on how these direct to consumer brands have started to launch into, you know, the idea of creating a media outlet and basically failing with more, uh, frequency than, than they are. And so, um, Here's my take on it, and and I think it's a really interesting question, um, given certainly the conversation we've just had for the last 40 minutes about all of this. Um, his his point here is is that certainly in the written word especially, um, but perhaps more broadly in the content space, that there's a real challenge here for these direct-to-consumer brands because they're coming in late with these sort of content brands and then failing at it. And I think... Eh, there are, yes, there is a lot of sort of pileups on the highway of, of, of looking at content. But I think, especially if you, if you look at sort of the broader view than sort of picking out these elements of, of, of content brands that have not done so well, some of them have shifted. There's no doubt. Like, let's talk about uh, the mattress company that he he mentions um, Casper, of course, and that launched in you know they launched their magazine Van Winkle, and then they replaced it with Wooly, which is a standalone digital and print magazine um, devoted to the sleep and, and wellness and lifestyle. So I happen to know a little bit about the mattress business, and I will just tell you that the, the idea of what's going on in the mattress business right now, especially, you know, the Casper's and Sattvas and Posturepedics and the high-end mattresses, low-end mattresses, that online business has been completely disrupted, and quite frankly— we, just to our discussion about Harry, you know, the 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 you know, Potter and the and the uh, the um you know, it's a wonderful life. That business is going through that exact thing, where review sites, customer review sites, are now sort of in this weird power position, and you've got mattress companies sort of betting all their funds to the point of even directing media dollars to these review sites where they do well. And really challenging the idea of what content means. So they're going through their own disruptive nature right now. So to see a lifestyle magazine like Woolly fail to connect, maybe, yeah, it's, you know, they, they. In other words, how big a piece of the portfolio is it for Casper right now? Not nearly as big as it might have been at one point, but it is still part of the portfolio. And that's sort of my point here: is is that One of the things that we talk about with creating content and a content brand is, is that it is part of the portfolio, not the portfolio. And so when we look at something like Peloton or we look at something like GoPro, um, you know, we should look at the broader picture of what's going on in the business versus Valuing content based on how big a part of the portfolio it is at any current time. GoPro is a perfect example of this. The reason that GoPro's media business and that whole sort of their duplication of what Red Bull is doing met with such epic failure is not because it wasn't working. It's because they had this disruption at the top levels of the C-suite. And basically lost a guy and then they weren't executing it very well and it was going badly and they had basically bad sales and it was one of the first to get, you know, a budget cut. That doesn't mean that the content executed well wasn't connecting with consumers. It just means that as part of a marketing strategy, it had fluctuating elements of its uh, of how big a part of the portfolio it is. Connecting with customers is hard with media companies. Just ask any movie studio, right? You know, any movie studio is going to tell you that of the 20 productions that they put into, you know, their portfolio of a year's slate of content, they're hoping for three or four home runs. They they understand that most of what they do is not going to connect. The same has to be true as we start looking at developing content brands and developing content platforms for direct-to-consumer plays as brands become media companies. We're not going to hit on everything we do, and some of the things that we do may be failures. That is not a commentary on the approach. It is a commentary on our particular approach within it. Where I think Aaron may have a point, and this is a big asterisk here, when we start thinking about content brands in the written word and direct to consumer brands specifically, right now in this time, just to our earlier conversation on audio and all of that, now may not be the time to try and compete on the written word for search engine optimization. It now may be the time to start to get out ahead of this and get into rich media and audio and other types of content experiences because that's where we're going to have the chance to find those riches in the niches, as it were. So I just think this is a really thought-provoking article. I think everybody should go read it. Um, I think Aaron is admittedly, as he tweeted out, undecided really about where he's sort of falling on this and he's a glasses half full kind of guy anyway and so I just think it's a really well posed question um, that I think has uh, some it's, it's basically the fodder for some really interesting conversation. I just happen to believe that that we're in a we're we're in a good place when it comes to direct to consumer content, and I don't think it's uh, a, a case of abandon hope for all ye who enter. I think it's a you better have good you know a, a good set of swords and arrows with you as you go through here because it's going to be you know a long hard battle but worth
0: fighting. Yeah, and I think your point too is really important that there's really no. Difference in the percentages of failures on the brand side versus the media side. Correct. Just That's as many exactly failures right. going on. You could have the. You could do the same exact posts and talk about all the media closures and, and magazines that went out of business and all those types of things
1: that are doing it every day. Right. Every day. I mean, probably the, yeah.
0: more so. Probably more so. Uh, a couple just extra points uh, based on your really good summation of this is. Most of these are treated as experiments. As soon as you treat this as an experiment, it's probably going to fail. It means it didn't get C-level support. We talked about that before. You have to sell a kind of project like this internally before, during, and after you do the project. Because what happens, when t- to your point, when times get tough like they did with GoPro, it's the first thing that gets cut. Because this is a patient marketing initiative. It takes time to build an audience. And if it's not immediately generating sales, they'll look at it and say, cut that, because we don't have the business space to be creative right now. That's right. So that's, you know, that, that's all I would say. Yeah. And, and this is just, it's just the nature of the business. But so you can create more patience if you sell a little more internally as you're doing this. And I think I would say the majority of these launches, they're not communicating with the C-level at all. It is looked at as as experimental. And because of that, it's something that can easily be dismissed.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's where we need to also look at, you know, and it's really hard for us on the outside looking in to sort of look at what is successful and what isn't successful because we don't know what the internal machinations are and we don't know what the internal you know strategy if it exists is you know so one of the things that i would caution us to do is to stop looking at social media for example followers as a you know as a as a as a metric for looking at something and going wow they're really succeeding right or they're not succeeding or whether they've posted you know recently or you know those kinds of things because quite frankly that may not be even part of their plan
0: well, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, we were both there at the beginning of Content Marketing Institute. If you would have looked at the first 18 months, you would have said this was a failure. This is right. not working. That's right. It was right. probably about the 25 to 29-month area that that you and I were like, hey, this is going to work. This is absolutely yeah. successful. And- <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Over many cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Uh, that's what these companies are missing.
1: That's right. They just need more drinks. Tequila and vodka. And tacos, yeah. Tequila and and tacos, yeah.
0: Good.
1: Absolutely. Oh, speaking of tequila and tacos, what do you have planned for the next week?
0: Oh, I am. um, So basically, I'm making some final tweaks to the audio script for The Will to Die, and it goes to the narrator next week. So I'm very excited about creating the uh, the audio version, which will be the the lead version for the will to die, and doing all the things. And I'm learning all about the self publishing business, and it's it's been wonderful to do that. Uh, and we've got a little a couple small trips that we're taking with friends over the next few weeks, so that'll nice. be fun. Yeah, we're you know always looking to because I you know I don't want to work too hard. So I've got to yeah. take some time off whenever, <laughs> I, can. whenever to I can. You've got a reputation to keep up now. Uh, of <laughs> course, we've got, Browns, as this goes live, we'll have Browns on Monday Night Football. I'm very excited about.
1: Uh, yes, indeed. So, That's going to be a good game.
0: Yep. it's And it's nice. This is maybe the first time in forever that the, uh, you know, you guys are three and one, Cowboys are three and one. We're two and three two. Three and one. This is, yeah. this looks, this could be good this year.
1: It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's a fun it's a fun season so far for sure. So Absolutely. How about you, sir? Anything going I up? yeah, again next week I start my fourth quarter sprint here and uh, I go off to Minneapolis where I'll be speaking um, for the lovely Federal Reserve, um, there at a at an event they're uh, holding, um, and then I'm back um, at the end of the week, and then home for the weekend, and then off to the following week to the lovely Ann Handley's Marketing uh, Profs B two B conference in Washington D.C., which I'm super excited about. Nice,
0: that's yeah. wonderful. You have yeah, it'll be good. Tell everybody I said hi.
1: I absolutely will. I absolutely will. And of course, everybody out there. This is it. We're signing off for this episode. If you like this episode, episode number 218, subscribe. Won't you? Resubscribe. Get yourself a shiny, shiny brand new subscription to our little uh, hour of nonsense here. We want to be the number one podcast, not just in content, eh, but in marketing full stop. And we need you to do that. So share us out there. Get us out there, um, share it up, you know, hashtag us up. This old marketing, of course. Show ideas, we love the story ideas. Thank you so much for those that are contributing to the story ideas. Those are always wonderfully helpful. Um, If you didn't know, we're publishing uh, the new show uh, twice a month or basically every other week now. Um, And uh, if you want to connect with any of us, uh, Mr. Polizzi's new website, shiny new website, is up and ready. And where is that again? Uh At some (laughs) Some weird, uh, some do, weird yes, domain. So if yeah. you
0: go to JoePalitzi dot com, Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Actually, I have a, I have a nice little audio guide that I'm giving away for free. It's the three keys to life and marketing. Believe it or not, Ooh. if you sign up for my newsletter, you get that for free at JoePalitzi
1: <laughs> So yes, that's uh, JoePalitzi dot com or JoePaluzzi or oh, JoePaluzzi yeah, or JoePalizi or JoePaluzzi or Paluzzi. T- t- yeah, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rob. <laughs> That's for for me if you want to get a hold of me um, and look what we're doing all over the world here it's contentadvisory.net or we have a shiny new URL as well it's tca.inc that's tca.inc and that is it Uh, so remember hashtag us up with everything you want to hashtag us at this old marketing and remember everybody out there as you build your moats with your snakes and your alligators it is your story to tell tell it well We'll see you in two weeks on This Old Marketing.